as you know, we've been going through a, our series that's going to take us all the way through the summer, uh, Heroes of Faith. And just uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that um, there's a real uh, kind of disconnect. There's a, you know, that the heroes of the Bible, the heroes of faith, are not always what we would consider to be heroic uh, from one standpoint. And I saw something that I thought was rather amusing uh, that I wanted to share with you. It's uh, a fictitious uh, account of a church that was looking for a new pastor. And so they put together a search committee and uh, the search committee started interviewing candidates for the role, biblical candidates. And uh, then they brought a report to the board of the church. And here's what they said. We do not have a happy report to give. We've not been able to find a suitable candidate for this church, though we have one promising prospect still. We do appreciate all the suggestions from the church members, and we followed up each one with interviews or calling at least three references. The following is our confidential report on the present candidates. Adam, good man, but has problems with his wife. Also, one reference told of how his wife and he enjoy walking in the nude. <laughs> Noah, pastored for 120 years with no converts, prone to unrealistic building projects. <laughs> Abraham, though the references reported wife swapping, the fact seems to show he never slept with another man's wife, but did offer his to share with another man. <laughs> Joseph, a big thinker, but a braggart, believes in dream interpretation and has a prison record. <laughs> Moses, a modest and meek man, but a very poor communicator, even stuttering at times, blows his stack, acts rashly. Some say he left a previous church on a murder charge. <laughs> David, the most promising leader of all, until we discovered the affair he had with his neighbor's wife. Elijah, prone to depression, collapses under pressure. Jeremiah, emotionally unstable, alarmist, negative, always lamenting things, and reported to have taken a long trip to bury his underwear under the banks of a foreign river. <laughs> Jonah refused God's call to ministry and says he was forced to obey by getting swallowed by a great fish that later spit him out on the shore. We hung up the phone. <laughs> John says he is a Baptist, but definitely doesn't dress like one. <laughs> Sleeps outdoors for months on end, has a weird diet, and provokes all the leaders around him. Peter, too blue-collar, has a bad temper, has even been known to curse. Aggressive, but a loose cannon. Paul, powerful CEO leader and a fascinating preacher, however short on tact, unforgiving with younger ministers, harsh, and has been known to preach all night long. <laughs> and then there's Judas Iscariot. His references are solid. A steady plotter, conservative, good connections, knows how to handle money. We're inviting him to preach next Sunday. <laughs> well, yeah, not everything is as it appears, right? And some of the most heroic of God's servants don't always act very heroic. And our hero for today is one of those, Jeremiah, who I've called the prophet of brokenness. 
but who many call the weeping prophet. He had a lot to cry about. Let's look at the intro in your handout, verses one through three. This is the very beginning of the book that is named after the author, Jeremiah. These are the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests from the town of Anatoth in the land of Benjamin. The Lord first gave messages to Jeremiah during the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. The Lord's messages continued through the reign of Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, until the 11th year of the reign of King Zedekiah, another of Josiah's sons. In August of that 11th year, the people of Jerusalem were taken away as captives. So that is actually a fairly long period of history that is recounted in those few verses, about 40 years in all. And it started out well. We're told that Jeremiah ministered during the reign of Josiah. And Josiah was actually a very good king. They actually recovered the book of Deuteronomy during his time, and there was a revival in the land, but that was the height. And then things started getting progressively worse until the very last verse we read, the people of Israel were taken away captive. And Jeremiah had to live through that. In fact, he was given a message to proclaim that God's judgment was coming on the people on the land, and he had to live to see the fulfillment of his very words on his own family, on his neighbors, on his nation. And he had to bring messages of judgment reminding them that this was indeed God's plan for them. So no wonder he's called the weeping prophet. You know, he had a lot to cry about. And this kind of gives us a a special insight because you see, unlike many of the other prophetic books, Uh, Jeremiah gives us a lot of stories about things that happened during his life. And he also gives us a lot of insight into his own inner life. I mean, have you ever been in a time in your life where you just felt like, you know, nothing's going right? You know, you're hitting your head against the wall. And whatever relationship you may have had with God seems like a distant memory. Well, that was what Jeremiah often experienced, often talked very openly and honestly about. And because we can see that, we can learn how to cope during our own challenging times. And we can also hope against hope because there's actually two parts to my time of sharing today and then also on the 4th of July weekend. Today, we're going to focus on the first part, Jeremiah, prophet of brokenness. But I hope you can come back on the 4th of July where we talk about Jeremiah, the prophet of hopefulness. Two sides of the same man, two sides of the same coin. And and we see here in this handout, God's first of all calling of Jeremiah. Verses four and five. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. I mean, that is a mind-blowing thing to say. Before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you and I had a plan for you. Wow. And look at what God says. He says, I knew, I formed, I set. So God's call to Jeremiah is based upon who God is, you see, and not who Jeremiah is. We can be heroes of faith because 
our heroism is not based upon who we are, but on who the God is that we serve. Jeremiah, I knew you. I am I'm, I'm, I'm all-knowing. I know all things. Even before you were born, I formed you. I'm the creator. I made it all, and I appointed you. That means I'm sovereign. I'm in charge of what goes on in your life and in the world around you. That's a comforting thought for Jeremiah because the call that he received was to be a prophet, a prophet to the nations. In other words, there are words to speak there, are, there is judgments to declare, not just for the Jewish people, but for all the surrounding nations. And, and Jeremiah talks a lot about the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. There's, there's 79 times where that phrase occurs in the Older Testament, and 47 of them take place right in this book, the book of Jeremiah. And he talks about what it means to speak the word of the Lord. He says, sometimes it's like fire in my bones, you know? It's burning me up. Sometimes I feel like I'm staggering around with the word of God. I eat it, and it gives me joy, but then I speak it, and it gives me pain. So he's speaking very poetically. This, this prophet was really someone who had the soul of a poet, and he speaks in this way, but he's speaking of judgment, mostly judgment. In fact, there's one section of, you know, there's so many sections of judgment that I could tell you about, but uh, the judgment, here's, here's one beautiful, I think, illustration of that. Jeremiah says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is an area of the world where water is a precious commodity, a precious resource, and so God says, you know what, I'm the fountain of living waters, the water that will continue to refresh and supply you, and I've offered that water freely to you, but guess what you've done? You've rejected it, and you've dug holes in the ground and poured water in to them, and they just melt away. And this is a very poetic way of talking about that spiritual decline that was going on in Israel at the time. It was actually quite devastating. Um, there were two aspects of worship that Jeremiah and God were uh, alarmed at, appalled at. One was uh, cult prostitution. In the temple, both male and female prostitutes were behaving as though they were worshiping God and the people were invited to go and worship with them in that illicit way. Another was worship of a God named Moloch, who uh, they had set up statues for all around Israel. And the, the, the God looked like this, it had an arm stretched out. And they would light a fire underneath those arms. And then parents would come and bring their children and put them on the arms and sacrifice them to their gods. Horrific, appalling. And Jeremiah was called by God to speak against that. And so that's why there's so many messages of judgment. And we say, you know what? I have a really hard time with judgment. I don't want to believe in a God who judges. And yet the fact of the matter is that if God doesn't judge, there's no justice. And it is because of God's love for his creation that he judges those kinds of, of situations. There's a, a theologian uh, named Miroslav Volf, who 
uh, is from Croatia, and he lived through that whole horrible time when the Ser Serbian and Croatian people were, were in conflict, and he witnessed terrible injustice and suffering in his own family, and he actually spoke and wrestled with this. How can we not retaliate against people? How could we break this cycle of violence that's going on when there's so much injustice? And he says this, in a life filled with injustice, we have to believe in a God who is committed to it. It takes the quiet of a suburb for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence is a result of a God who refuses to judge. In a scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, the idea will invariably die. Like other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. You see, it's because of God's great love that he gave these messages about coming judgment to Jeremiah to give to the people so that they could understand that ultimately in the end, truth will win out. Ultimately in the end, God's justice will be established. Ultimately in the end, God will demonstrate his love for his creation by making what is wrong right. That's an important truth for all of us to grab hold of. But Jeremiah wrestled with it. And so we look at uh, his response to this call of God in verses six through eight. He says, oh, sovereign Lord. Sovereign means the one who's the king, the one who's really in charge. And so Jeremiah is recognizing, yes, you are in charge. But then look what he says. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. <laughs> so what Jeremiah is saying is, I don't want that job. Thank you very much. <laughs> Maybe he didn't quite understand what he was saying when he said, oh, sovereign Lord. You know, Moses didn't come down from the mountain with the 10 suggestions, right? <laughs> when, when God says something, you want to argue with him? Well, that's the amazing thing. Jeremiah does. He says, no, 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 well, wait a minute. I'm too young. I can't speak. And he wasn't the first one of God's heroes to argue with God about the calling. Moses, when he was in front of the burning bush, he's seeing this miracle, and God says, okay, see me in this burning bush? Uh, now you got to go to Pharaoh and speak to him. And Moses says, wait a minute. Me? I can't speak. I stutter. God says, that's okay. I'll give you Aaron, your brother. He'll help you. You know, and then the excuses keep coming. <laughs> and have you ever done that? I know I have. I've got a million and one reasons why I shouldn't do what I think I know God wants me to do. I'm very good at pulling them out one after the other. But notice what God says to Jeremiah when he responds. Don't say, I'm too young. You must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Yeah, I am sovereign. You're right. But then he says this, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will pr protect you. You know, God gets to the heart of the issue right there. He says, the real problem, Jeremiah, isn't that you're too young. It's that you're afraid. And isn't that usually the way it is with us? All the kind of excuse, excuses that we make and all the kind of complaining that we do are often underlied by our own fear. 
And God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If I've called you, I'm going to set you apart. How many times do we act out of fear and give other reasons for our behaviors? And that's the story of Jeremiah. He continues to complain throughout the rest of this 52-chapter book. He says, how can you do this to me? Look what you're doing to me. Three times he says, I wish I had never been born. (laughs) Ever said that before? Hmm. And then he he says, God, I'm going to bring you before my judgment seat. He says, you've been like a deceptive brook to me, a, a riverbed that I expected to get water from, and it's just dried up. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Wow. What an honest, honest expression. But the reason why was because he was counting the cost. He had this kind of interaction with God because he also had experiences that were genuinely worth complaining about. Jeremiah's struggles that are intimated by verses 9 and 10 demonstrate the cost that sometimes comes to God's heroes when they commit to following after him. The Lord then reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I've put my words in your mouth. Today, I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. That sounds like a pretty tough task, these words uh, to uproot, to tear down, destroy, and overthrow. And when Jeremiah was living that out, he experienced, first of all, real loneliness. You know, loneliness and aloneness aren't exactly the same, are they? You can be all by yourself and not be lonely. And you can also be in a cast of thousands and be the loneliest person in the world, right? Well, Jeremiah experienced loneliness. In chapters 11 and 12 of this book, he tells about how God sent him back to his hometown, Anatoth, which was actually a place where all the priests hung out. It was three miles north of Jerusalem. And you see, there was this false worship going on, and Jeremiah came into town, and he said, you guys need to stop doing this. You need to tear down all these shrines, and the only place you can worship is in Jerusalem. And basically what he's saying is, you priests, you're out of work. (laughs) Go stand on the unemployment line. And he's taking bread off the table of the people he grew up with, and they weren't very happy. So Jeremiah says they started whispering. You know, he was walking down the street. He looked, there's a crowd, and they're looking at him. You know, finally, he has the courage to go up to one of his family. He says, what's everybody whispering about? And they said, Jeremiah, you better stop prophesying or else. And he knew what the or else meant. It was a warning. Get out of town or lose your life. And that's what he did. He packed up his bags and left and never came home again. In chapter 16, talk about loneliness. God says to him, you're never going to get married and you're never going to have children because you see what's coming ahead would make no one want to be married or have children to bring into this world that's going to be falling apart. And so you're going to be a symbol to all of the nation of the drama and the pain that's about to come. And that's what happened. And we think, man, that just doesn't seem fair. 
that he has to live his life and, and, and not get married, not have children. There's so much joy and happiness in that, isn't there? Well, is there if it's not God's plan? I was reading a, uh, a quote from uh, Tim Keller, a famous uh, pastor and uh, author about this very subject. He says, the Bible presents in a very unsentimental way that it is always hard and often devastating to be unmarried. And the Bible also presents it always hard and sometimes devastating to be married. <laughs> Think about it, isn't that true? It's true. And you can be lonely as a single person. You can be lonely as a married person. But what you want most of all is what God's plan for you and me. And that's what Jeremiah experienced. He experienced loneliness. He experienced, secondly, humiliation, shame. He was called by God to preach a message that wasn't well received. And at one particular occasion, he was standing in front of the gate near the temple. And one of the temple security guards came out and said, I'm sick of you. And he just hauled off and smacked him, knocked him to the ground, started kicking him, beat him within an inch of his life while the crowd was around mocking and laughing. And then he was put in stocks for the whole night. People were coming by, looking at him. Humiliation. I've never been humiliated like that, but I, I sure have been humiliated. Have you? One time he was told to put on a, a yoke of oxen on his neck because that's what was gonna happen to the people of Israel. They were gonna be led away into captivity and this was a, a picture for them all to see. And there was another prophet who was much more popular than Jeremiah in the temple and he came and he grabbed that, oak, that oxen yoke and ripped it off Jeremiah's neck, threw it to the gown and broke it and everybody was laughing. Humiliation. And then he faced uh, also pain and almost certain death. You know, imagine if God told you, and I don't think he is, but <laughs> if, if you were supposed to go down to San Francisco and say, you know, ISIS is coming and we better just not do anything to stop it because they're God's judgment on America. Well, that's how it was viewed by the people when Jeremiah said the Babylonians are coming and they're going to destroy the nation and you shouldn't resist them. Don't fight against them. Well, the mob that surrounded him started beating him. He was rescued by some of the officials, but then he went out a few months later when the Babylonians had actually come and surrounded the city of Jerusalem and the gates were locked. He said, open the gates. They're coming in anyway, so don't resist them. So finally, they were so fed up with him, they took him and they threw him in a pit. It was actually a cistern that was no longer in use. There was a lot of water and mud, and he fell all the way down into the mud, was sinking down. The water was coming up to his neck, and he was there in the cold and in the wet and in the mud. And that's where he spent a lot of time, and that's where we're actually going to leave him today. <laughs> yeah, see, I want you to come back. <laughs> but with the remaining minutes we have, I'd just like to reflect on what we've been talking about, about this prophet of brokenness, because we can learn a lot from him. You know, 
God said to him when he called him, and he repeated this again throughout the book, before you were born, I knew you. And that must have been an amazing thing for him to hear. But you know what? God says the same to you and to me. He really does know all things. He knew you and me before we were born. And what does this mean? It makes life precious. It makes our lives precious. Our life has incredible significance in the eyes of God. And even if we don't feel up to what he's asking us to do. He promises to fulfill his purpose in us if we learn to trust him. Philosophers talk about the summum bonum of life, the highest good. God has a highest good for each and every one of us. He has a destiny for us to discover and to follow after. Some of you have heard of or seen that movie, Chariots of Fire, and heard the story about the missionary to China, Eric Little, who also was a, an Olympic gold medalist in the 400 meters in 1924. What did he say? He said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Remember, he'd throw his head back, you know, and run. You saw the movie. But what do we do? What are we doing that when we do it, we feel God's pleasure. What's his highest good? What is the destiny that God has given to you and to me? We mustn't resist it, but when we find it out, it'll be the most precious thing that we can learn. And for some of us here, it may begin by a simple acknowledgement that God is our creator and that we wanna have a relationship with him and we open our hearts and say, Jesus, forgive me. Give me strength. Give me faith. Give me new life in you. And when that happens, if it hasn't yet, that's when your true destiny begins to come into view. We often need to be reminded that God does have a purpose, that our life is precious in his sight. And no matter how we're feeling about ourselves, that we need not shirk that destiny, but in it, find great pleasure, great joy. Secondly, I'd like to point out that Jeremiah, throughout this book, has a rich dialogue with God. You know, that poet's soul was used with not just prophetic announcements, but poetic complaining. <laughs> Talking to God is more than just asking him for things. It should include honest grappling about the challenges we face. I mean, when was the last time that you complained to God? We're afraid to do it, but let me tell you, he can take it. And more often than not, what I tend to do is I complain to other people. You know, I'm pretty good at that. And, uh, and it's not that I'm saying we shouldn't share our trust, troubles with other people, but why not tell them to the one who can really do something about it, who can make a big difference? And God invites Jeremiah and he invites us to be honest, to be raw, to share our genuine concerns and complaints. And as we take time to, yes, complain to God, he will give us the courage to endure the struggles that we're facing. And lastly, 
we're leaving for now Jeremiah in a pit. You ever been in a pit before? Not just literally, but figuratively, emotionally, spiritually. Maybe you're there right now. It's important to hear this. I can tell you that, and I've shared this before at Cornerstone, that my time in the pit was a few years ago when my wife of uh, over 26 years told me that she was no longer in love with me. And it knocked the breath out of me. I was devastated. And when she left shortly after that, I felt like I was falling apart. And I can still to this day remember, I mean, I'm losing the love of my life and I have to tell my children about it. And the pain in their faces haunts me to this very day. Uh, It was even more complicated, though, because as a leader of an international Christian mission, you know, I just couldn't just go on, you know. I had to offer my uh, letter of resignation to the board of directors, who took it under advisement and went through a several-month investigation, during which time lots of people had a chance to weigh in, and some of the remarks were quite painful. And I just had to wait. I had to sit there, the waiting. And I told Pastor Terry, I I feel powerless in the palm of providence, you know? There's nothing I can do but acknowledge that God's in charge. And you know what? God was in charge. And I'm so thankful that eventually the board of directors affirmed me in my role in leadership. So many of the people who had some negative things to to say came back and apologized and encouraged me, my children, walking with the Lord, loving him, faithfully serving him in Jews for Jesus. Wow. But if you've asked me at the time, you want to go through this one? (laughs) I don't even want to go back and think about it. It's hard sometimes to talk about it because it's still raw and it's still very real. But I share it with you because maybe you're in that pit right now. Maybe you're struggling and ready to just give up and my encouragement to you is don't, don't give up. Hold on, hold on to him and I can assure you he will hold on to you even better. He has a destiny for each and every one of us and nothing happens in this life but that he doesn't know about it and will be there to sustain us through it. He's worthy of our trust and he will bring us through the trial. We're leaving Jeremiah in the pit today, but he is in the end the one who sings Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. How did he get to that point? Well, first thing he did was hold on to God. And that's my encouragement to all of us to do. In just a moment, the band is gonna come back and sing a song that I think really puts to music the the thoughts of this great hero, this prophet of brokenness. But before that, we're gonna have our time of giving, and I'd like to pray.
that God would give all of us the courage and faith to believe in his destiny for us and his promise to keep us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, life is so full of loneliness and reasons to complain. Life is full of pits. And some of us are in the pit right now. And we're thinking about giving up altogether. I pray for courage to flow by the power of your Holy Spirit right now to those whose lives are in the pit. Lord, sustain them as you have sustained me. As you sustained Jeremiah. As you sustain all of us who hold on to you because, Lord, we know that you hold on to us. Lord, give us, all of us, a renewed confidence that you do have a destiny for us that is rich and beautiful, a purposeful life. And for those who have yet to enter into that destiny through a relationship with you and faith in Jesus, I pray that you'd give them courage as well to step out and say, yes, I believe, Lord. Jesus, save me. And for all of us, Lord, give us a, a, a rich life of relationship with you. May we be willing to share with you the deepest, intimate thoughts and, yes, complaints so that you can answer us and show us our fears and give us faith to follow after you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. 